All right. Hi, y'all. So as Jason said, my name is Savannah, and I'm an intern here at the house. Really has been a gift to be here the past few months and to get to know so many of you guys. And I want to take this opportunity while I'm here to say if I don't know you, I'd love to get to know you, love to get coffee with you. So we are continuing in a series on wisdom here at the house. But before we begin, I want to talk about something, a term that we often use here at the house. If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this term before. When we refer to the Bible, we call it the Word of God. After reading the scripture passage each Tuesday, we say this is the Word of the Lord, the Word of God. We say it so often that perhaps the weight of it gets lost on us. When we say the Word of God, we actually mean the literal words of God. As Christians, we believe that God spoke through the writers of the Bible that these words are his inspired words and thoughts. We believe that the instruction given, the stories written about, and the thoughts articulated are from God. So they are trustworthy, and they are to have authority in our lives. It's by reading the words of God that we learn what God is like. We learn that he is good, that he is for us, and that he's committed to our flourishing. I say all of this because as I come to this passage, I really need to be reminded of that. When I read this passage, it steps on my toes a little bit, and I need to be reminded that I am reading the words of God and that they are good. I need to be reminded that Jesus' instructions for my life are good, and they will actually give me a fuller life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that we get to gather here tonight. I ask that we will come to your word knowing that it is good, knowing that we can trust it, and that we can let it have authority in our lives, and it will actually give us a fuller life. Amen. All right, let's read the passage together. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So we're talking about God's wisdom for confrontation today. When Jason told me I would be the one giving this talk and that it would be on confrontation, the irony was not lost on me that I would be the one giving this talk because I'm notoriously awful at confrontation. I really, really struggle with it. Sometimes I just want to completely avoid it, avoid the issue and the people that the issue is surrounding. And then other times I enter into it too quickly and sometimes too rashly, too abruptly. I've lost friendships and severely hurt friendships because I haven't entered into confrontation well. And on top of this, confrontation just makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like disagreeing with people. I don't even like disagreeing with someone over a movie or TV show. But I'm trying to be better, so in light of that, I just need to say 
I didn't think The Greatest Showman was all that great. <laughs> I also watched three episodes of Stranger Things and was bored out of my mind. So, now that everyone hates me, <laughs> let's talk about confrontation. Before we look at the wisdom Jesus gives us for confrontation and why it's good and right among brothers and sisters, let's admit the obvious. Confrontation sucks. It's never fun, usually not for either party, and if it is fun for you, your friends probably think you're a turd. But why is confrontation so hard? Confrontation sucks because it means I'm looking at your life and telling you you're doing something wrong. That's really invasive and really judgmental, and in our culture, in America, we really value individualism. So I should be able to do whatever I wanna do, as long as it doesn't hurt you, and you should be able to do whatever you wanna do, as long as it doesn't hurt me. And we don't need to judge each other for it. We just do our own thing. But confrontation rubs up against those cultural norms. And Jesus here is saying that we have to look at how our brother or sister is living and say something if they are in the wrong. And that doesn't feel very American. On top of that, we're just not good at confrontation. It feels awkward and people don't really respond well. Usually with confrontation, there are two camps. So there are the people who just completely avoid it, wanna avoid the issue, and will even give up friendships in order to avoid confrontation. And then there's a group of bulldozers who enter into confrontation but often not with much thought for the other person. I've been in both camps at different seasons of my life and neither have worked well. Jesus shares with us how to enter into confrontation. Jesus tells us how to be good at confrontation. So let's take a look at what he says. First, we see that Jesus's goal in confrontation is reconciliation. When we sin, it creates division and our relationships with our brothers and sisters. So think about if you were to invite a friend to hang out and they say they can't because they're sick when they're really not sick. And so an hour later, you're on Instagram, you check their story, they're with friends, obviously not sick, and you've caught them in their lie. This sin of lying will create a division in y'all's friendship. You will probably feel hurt and confused your friend will feel ashamed and may even avoid you the next time they see you. And any sin creates division, whether it be gossip or stealing, coveting someone else's stuff, pride. All of this sin has detrimental effects among brothers and sisters. When someone sins, it creates division between them and others. It can cause shame, guilt, pride, judgment, confusion, and hurt. So division. Division is why we need reconciliation. As we read Jesus's passage about how to confront others, we see that Jesus wants this reconciliation to happen. He wants us to confront in order to mend the division that has occurred. Jesus's answer to division is reconciliation, and the way of reconciliation is confrontation. Jesus's answer to division is reconciliation, and the way, the means of reconciliation is confrontation. And y'all, this is the heart of Jesus. This is why Jesus came to earth. God came to us. 
God came, Jesus in the flesh, to bring reconciliation. In the same way, Jesus asks us to reconcile with others, to confront sin and to forgive sin. We can do this with our brothers and sisters because Jesus has done this for us. Jesus wants reconciliation, and he wants us to want it too. And so if the goal is reconciliation, we have to address our own hearts way before we address sin in someone else's life. So we have to ask ourselves, am I confronting because I want to be reconciled, or am I just angry and I want to put this person in their place? Am I confronting because I see that their sin is divisive and I want reconciliation, or am I hurt and I want to hurt them like they hurt me? And y'all, this is hard. When your brother or sister sins against you, our gut reaction is to retaliate. Sometimes this can look like attacking them, and sometimes this can look like ghosting them, but Jesus says that neither of these options are wise. Because wisdom seeks reconciliation, which means entering into conversations that are hard in order to restore our brother and sister as friend. Okay, so most of my college experience was spent trying to find some other way to not be in college. So each semester I'd come up with this grand plan of how I was gonna drop out of college and travel the world. I remember at one point I was looking up flights to Albania uh, because I had found this job ad ad online for this family that needed a nanny. And I remember thinking, one, I have no idea where Albania is at. And two, this sounds like the plot line to a Taken movie, but I didn't care. I was still looking. So during one of these semesters, I thought about through-hiking the Appalachian Trail. And if you've ever been on the Appalachian Trail, you'll know there are these things called trail markers. So there are these white marks on tree trunks that basically just show you that you're on the trail, going the right way. If a trail splits off, you can know by the white white mark that you're going to do the Appalachian Trail by staying on that trail. And I found a picture that I thought might be helpful. (laughs) 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 So I think of these trail markers as Jesus's instructions in the Bible for how we are to live. These instructions tell us what will give us life and what will not be life-giving. But just like through hikers, we get tired or distracted and we might wander off the path. That's when we need our friend who's hiking behind us beside us to pull us back to the right path. We need a friend to tell us, hey, you're about to go off off the trail. Come back so we can hike it together. Confrontation with the heart of reconciliation is like this. It's coming to one another, reminding each other which way to go. If you were backpacking with a friend and they started to wander off, you wouldn't just let them go. You'd say something, not to put them in their place, but because you want them to be on the right path and you want to hike on the right path with them. This is the ministry of reconciliation. But how exactly do we do this? So I think a lot of times I want just a really clear process on how to handle a situation in a wise way. And what's beautiful is that Jesus actually gives us a very clear process when it comes to confrontation. He lays it all out for us. And this clarity is so kind of Jesus because so often we are desperate for clarity in our lives. 
And y'all, Jesus knows our frame. He knows our tendencies and our weaknesses. He knows our fears, what we are like, what we are good at, and what we are bad at. And he knows that confrontation is not easy. He knows that we struggle with it, that some of us avoid it and some of us bulldoze forward. And so he meets us where we are and in kindness helps us move into confrontation. So first, Jesus says to go to the friend one-on-one. And this is gold because it's amazing how often we don't do this. Our friend is sinning, and instead of going to them directly, we go and talk to our roommates about it, or our classmates, or our coworkers. Then we call our mom, then we're checking out at Walmart, and we tell the cashier about it. All instead of just going to the one person that this is dealing with. And think about if you were the one being confronted. Wouldn't it be really kind of your friend to keep that sin between you and them? Wouldn't you feel attacked if you found out there was an army of people behind your friend who knew all about your sin? So Jesus says to go to that person and keep it between you and them. This past summer, I worked for a ministry that just really valued doing confrontation well, and they often said, keep short accounts. What they meant by this is when you had an issue with someone, you needed to go to them directly and you needed to go to them quickly. Not rashly, you should think about it and pray about it and maybe seek counsel from a wise mentor. But you didn't need to wait. You needed to go to your brother or sister seeking reconciliation. And Jesus says, if your friend listens to you, awesome. You've won back your brother or sister. But what if he or she doesn't? Then it's time to bring in a couple more people. If you've gone to them one-on-one and the person refuses to listen, they may need a couple more voices in order to realize that this is serious. They likely need to hear that this is not just one person who's seeing their sin, but there's two or three people. Remember the goal is not just for someone to see their sin, but to be reconciled. And our hearts are stubborn. I don't know many people as static to be confronted over sin. We get defensive, we want to deny our sin, and sometimes we need a couple people who really know and love us to help us see that our sin is hurting and affecting others. Remember, Jesus wants this person to be restored as a brother or sister. But what if this person's heart is still stubborn? What if you've gone to them one-on-one and then you've brought in a couple more and still they refuse to see and confess their sin? Then Jesus says to bring your community in on it. Jesus asks you to invite in those who know and love this person so that again they can realize that their sin is serious, that people care for them and people want to forgive them. But what if that still doesn't work? What if you've gone to them one-on-one, then you've brought in a couple more, and then you've even brought in the community, but still no reconciliation has happened? Jesus says to treat them as a Gentile and tax collector. Treat them as a Gentile and tax collector. That sounds really intense. And in some ways it is. 
When a brother or sister is confronted once, twice, and then finally by their community, and still they make no attempt at reconciliation, they are not living in the way Christ has called them to live. They are acting like someone who is not in Christ, someone who is not following Jesus. And Jesus tells us at that point to treat them that way. Treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector, which means to treat them like someone on the outside. That's intense. But we're not left alone here because we know how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors. He was always seen hanging out with them, always seen eating and drinking with them, of extending to them the promises and the love of God. When you treat someone like a Gentile or tax collector, it doesn't mean to wash your hands of them. It means to pursue them and preach the gospel to them as, they may not, as though they may not know it. That God loves them and has reconciliation to offer. Because if they don't know that, how can I expect them to want to reconcile with me? So how do you treat those who have refused once, twice, three times reconciliation? You go after them with the radical love of God. You hang out with them. You grab cookout with them. You watch The Office with them. You spend time with them. You love them like Jesus loved Gentiles and tax collectors. You love them not with the goal of reconciliation to you, but with the goal of their reconciliation with God. That they would hear the gospel and receive the truth that God loves them. And if that happens, you know what they'll do? If their hearts are melted by the love and reconciling work of God, they'll want to be reconciled with you. This is how masterful the plans of Jesus are. His process leads everyone toward reconciliation, one way or the other. This is the heart of Jesus. This is Jesus' wisdom in confrontation. There's one more thing I want us to look at tonight. A few, sentence a few sentences later in this passage, still on the topic of confrontation, Jesus says, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is with you. When you go to your brother or sister and confront in hopes of reconciliation, he is with you. When you are afraid and want to run away, he is with you. In your fight against anger, he is with you. When you feel uncomfortable, he is with you. When you are the one being confronted, he is with you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? This is God's wisdom and confrontation one-to-one, -one, team of three, bring in the community, and then move toward them with the truth and love of the gospel, all for reconciliation. <laughs>